Well, here's an upside to it. Um, <laughs> I think it, it makes it a little more challenging for a lot of comics to, there's no more low hanging fruit on the tree anymore. Yeah. Right. It used to be okay to take a shot at this group or that, or I'm not talking about Chappelle or, and I'm just saying in general terms, um, a lot of comics will say, you know, white people are like this and black people are like that or whatever the, the context may be. And now it's like, well, there's maybe a whole other world of subjects and ideas and topics that can be relevant and made to be very funny and relatable that have very little or nothing to do with offending, potentially offending certain groups or not. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. Be advised, these apes are not emotional support animals, and they fling verbal poo. Listen with caution. Remember episode 200, Don and I had a, we, we made a deal with each other that we would have more guests. So to that point, we have another, and this is a, a, a weird one because we've only had white men as guests on the Illiterate Cast. And today I am thrilled to announce that we have a white man, Eric Lewin. Yeah, I'm in white face, to be fair. It's true. Okay, it's yes. True. Yeah. yeah, which is okay because it's time. It's time. It's time. I'm coming. We knew out. how it felt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eric Lewin is, uh, is a good friend of ours, uh, both Donna Mines, a good friend of Literate Ape, and he's a, he's a stand-up comedian. Um, he's a writer. He's written for, uh, for Literate Ape. He's also published three books. His latest is hilarious. <laughs> It's called This Is How I Spell Grief. And it was, it's a side splitter. It's some comedy oh, yeah. gold, my friend. Well, thank you, Eric, for coming on. Yeah, man. Eric, thanks yeah, for hanging on, man. It's, it's, it's good, good to, to see, see you guys. Uh, yeah. You know, I know the two of you guys live in Las Vegas. I, you know, I don't get to see you that often. I don't um, either. Light, light and now because of the, the 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 pandemic and everything, you guys don't get to see each other that much. Yeah, so this you is hear, really if nice. If you want to hear on Literate Ape, you want to hear Eric Lewin talk, go to the Bug House podcast because he's on there a number of times in the Vegas bug, uh, bug House. And we were just kind of talking about how, yeah, Miss Bug House, uh, definitely bringing it back. Got some other things coming uh, down the works that I'm planning. So it's, too, it's and we were um, sharing a tear about how Bug House burnt down. Yeah, the Bug Do House. Listeners know that? Do they know? I what think happened? I think they do. I think. I actually, I don't know if, yeah, the, the bunk house where we did the bug house, uh, when the pandemic hit, basically they left their, they left their gas and lights on because they didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last. Like a and pandemic homeless, blooper. Yeah. And the homeless, homeless people <laughs> there was a pandemic moved in. Blooper reel. <laughs> yeah. And, and homeless people moved in and literally like for weeks lived there. It was their home. Right. And uh, they inadvertently burnt the fucking place down. So uh, that is no yeah. longer an option. For the bug, bug house. house will not die. No, no, you we will find, find a place. place. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of places in Vegas right now. Um, all right, so one so of the Eric, reasons... uh, well, I just want to so t tell us about the um, the latest book because because I asked you if you what's the latest book, and you're like, well, I've got two, like, no, one has to come before the other, even twins. There's an older twin, but you've got two new books that are out yeah. right now, yeah. 
Uh, well, yeah, that was my cue, right? Um, so the <laughs> I'm very. And your cue uh, is tell us about those. I'm a, I'm a well-oiled machine. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> the grief. Thanks for asking. The grief book. Uh, I'm trying to make death and loss funny and entertaining while also exploring the experience I had losing my folks and just as a regular person, not up on high as a doctor this or Dr. Phil that or whatever, just a regular, you know, comic uh, relating to the hardship of going through losing one parent really fast and one parent really slow. And I feel like when I needed help and I am a reader, I go to the bookstore, that's where I go, right? And I couldn't find anything except you're in stage 2.7 and like nothing was very helpful for me. So I said, I'm just going to, write it and if anyone else did yeah. that you know well that's i mean that's, very, that, very that's di- it's very do. diy just, like this is this yeah, you just it's write, not there for me i'll put it out there for me and maybe for others and yeah, yeah well i mean if you're writing to be popular you're doing it for the wrong reasons and i understand so many people totally. just want to write it to be popular and make a lot of money it's just not a profession it's sort of like the other your other book is a book of poetry which the new I mean, one let's, yeah but let's mm-hmm. be honest that there are more people writing poetry than actually read it yeah i don't you even know? read the exactly i yeah. hate reading poetry Dude, i love writing it no, i just gotta throw this out i went to the las vegas uh las vegas book fest with dana uh last yeah. week and uh we ended up walking into uh sort of like a keynote presentation by this oh. poet named james norman and this fucking guy had a he basically had made like a self-made documentary of him going to places like he's on faulkner's grave reading poems like and then Mm. talking about writing and writing poetry and and sort of he's like this van life kind of guy right and it was one of those situations where we sat there and i had no idea who this guy was but he was saying all the things i needed to hear at that moment in my day and so i immediately went and bought out if he had five books for sale i'd have bought all five but he had two for sale so i bought the two and they're fucking good so there yeah. are people that do read poetry, I, just yeah, not very I, many I, of us. No, I'm, I, I don't read a ton of poetry. I I do love writing it. I don't publish a lot of it, um, but I've got a shit ton of it in in notebooks. I love Bukowski. Um, I love Sylvia Plath. I love Jarrett Keene. I love Elizabeth Harper. Um, I, I love Dana's. I love Dana's work. And I and Eric, read your breakup I will read, poetry, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. What did you say? say the again? world needs to read your breakup poetry. Oh, Finally. God. Yeah. I've got some fucking like late 90s, early 2000s emo <laughs> ass poetry. Right, right. It is. It's. Oh, man, it's good. Yeah. All right. Speaking God, of good. things that everybody enjoys, everybody enjoys comedy, which is one comedy. of the reasons why Not we've true. got uh, that is fake fucking news, right Mr. there, Mr. Lewin. Um, and one of the yeah. questions, one of the questions you, know, you hear about this, and here's my question I want to ask. I've got a couple of questions to talk about tonight. Um, one of the things that you hear a lot about, we've heard it from Jerry Seinfeld, we've heard it from John Cleese, we've heard, I mean, a lot of people is, and you know, what call it cancel culture, whatever you want to call it, I don't give a fuck what you call it. But it is this sense that doing comedy is more difficult today in sort of the woke era than perhaps any other time. Like this, like like doing comedy is harder. And so my question for both of you is comedy harder in the work woke era, or is it just as hard as it always was? 
Dave, please. Uh, yeah, I think I think it is harder, and you know it's been a it's been a good a good long spell since I've done stand up. Sometimes Katie, rarely, but Katie. Katie doesn't think me. you're funny. Katie does she not think, think you're funny. No, she does not. She think thought you were funny before you got married. Now she just thinks you're annoying. I'm the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I am like Alex Jones with a five minute set to her. <laughs> That's what I am. When before we got married, I was Larry David at his best. You know, Larry David meets the best part of Louis C.K. before the whole whack it in the plant. Like, but you whack meets, it in a plant? No, Weinstein whacked it into a plant. What did Louis C.K. I can't keep all the dicks and asked, plants straight. C.K. I, asked women if he could jerk off in front of them and then jerk off, and then one okay. uh, Abby Abby uh, Abby Shirt said that. Yeah, one of he them called her. Well, I'm was yeah. jerking off okay. while she was well, talking. I'm, to I'm, him. I'm, I'm glad we relived that. That's not the um, plant thing. That's Weinstein. You got to get it straight, I, man. You know, he, look, who among us hasn't whacked it in a plant? Come on, let's just—we're <laughs> all friends here. It's a safe space. Uh, no, I, but it's been a lot. My point is that it's been a long time since I've done any like comedy as a, at least a self-proclaimed comedian. But I think the attempt to be funny is harder now because woke. Yeah. But I think it's more about the immediate guttural reaction to things, which is more Twitter than woke and maybe Twitter bore woke. We couldn't, we wouldn't have the woke response. If there weren't Twitter, we wouldn't have all the shit show we're dealing with without Twitter and the social media immediate even the 24 hour news cycle, like I think it helped like fuel it. Like we've got to find this thing to fill airspace. We have to, we have to fill the empty space constantly. So we're going to fucking nitpick everything. And when there's nothing new to nitpick, let's go back 45 years. And let's talk about George Carlin in this one show. He bombed at the laugh factory, you know, versus like his polished HBOs. But I, I, I think it's harder because everything feels under like it's under a microscope and everyone is just waiting for somebody to fuck up either now in the future or waiting for that moment to discover that youtube video of 45 years ago where richard pryor did something where eddie murphy made oh no you know, richard pryor if you watch the some of the roast car, if you watch some car. of the roast that richard pryor does yeah i mean he's in today's parlance, he's highly offensive. He calls the one black woman. I mean, I, I, I just watched yeah. this the other day. He calls the one black woman on the dais a gorilla and talks about how she's a fucking gorilla. He talks about fags. He talks about getting fucked in the ass. He, I mean, he, he is, it is, is not acceptable to today's standards, anything. All right. But specifically, because Richard Pryor's long dead. Eric, you're an actual stand-up comic, so do you find getting up on stage, writing jokes, the jokes you write, do you find it more difficult, because you also hang out with other stand-ups because you're working with stand-ups, do you find it more difficult today or or the same as, you know, like when you started? I can't remember. When did you start doing can't stand-up? Yeah, how long have you been doing this? Six years. Okay, so in the last six years, has it gotten more difficult or like regularly yeah. I'm sorry um, I, I, guys i'm sorry i have to pause for just one second because a quick tangent you've oh, only yeah. been at stand-up for six years mm -hmm. 
He was a criminal Dude, defense attorney, attorney before that. No, I, I knew that, but I just, I just I never did the math, I guess. But like you feel to me way more polished than six years. So well, it's just because he's so goddamn funny. Question. I, okay. But I mean, the I thing just, about that, it is that just surprises me. I knew so, Lewin was I well knew done, Lewin was the real deal. Uh, the first oh, you're time so he... fucking smart, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, David, I am that fucking smart. No, Tell I me how was... smart you are, Don. I knew he was the real deal when he did the first bug house. And, uh, you know, because most people that do bug house, they really, really get focused on the argument and they get really nervous. So they overwrite. And he got up and did literally point for point seven minutes of the funniest i mean and he made his argument you can listen to it on the the bug house podcast he made his argument but it was just just joke landed and landed and landed and you can hear me on the fucking recording just fucking sitting out in the audience just shitting myself laughing because i just had no idea how because i'd read his book I'd read some of the pieces he'd written for the game. I had no idea how fucking funny he was. So he is the real deal. So answer the question. And I would Eric. say that that good a good stand-up, really good stand-up bits are in, in a way or directly uh, really tight arguments. A, one-sided maybe, but they're really tight arguments. They are water, water, airtight, waterproof arguments against how dumb something is or how wrong something is or whatever it is so, so eric is sorry it to derail easier, too much but eric yeah is it easier, is it easier or, or, yeah. or more difficult in your opinion and, and and even going beyond your experience is it do you think it's easier or more difficult than it was maybe even 20 years ago definitely more difficult it's tricky well let me just start by saying I don't really know because i've never been a like an insult comic or trying to zoom in on on asians or something like i've never that's never been my thing <laughs> maybe hey, i want to get into we'll, comedy is yeah. there a way i can zoom in on asians well you could be a comedian <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> yeah so um i've just kind of been writing in. i don't like i always do I, I don't know but um i also think this whole cancel thing is like a kind of a luxury uh it's it's um like a famous comics luxury because no one cares if an unknown comic like upset two trans people in a club, but they really care if Chappelle did it. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a, I don't know what you want to, I would just say it's uh, like one of my mentors would say it's celebrity leeway, the opposite in terms of how like a celebrity can go on with a premise for a while without a punchline, it's celebrity leeway. Mm-hmm. Um, because they already have the crowd's trust. They're, they're there to see them. Yeah, right? they've, already, they've already laughed at their jokes. They've already laughed. They, they want to be there. That credibility is there. Kinda, yeah. 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 Um, they've already, you know, sort of sung for their dinner. Whereas this is, in a way, like the inverse of that. Now, I don't know what, uh, non-leeway, whatever the opposite of that is, where they're on a shorter rope. If they say anything on Twitter or in a special, suddenly the whole world knows it and can nitpick it, like Dave said. And and as I said, regular working comedians don't get that kind of exposure or visibility. So frankly, if a couple of people don't like it and they're like, let's go, you know, anywhere else, no one cares. It's so they're right off the bat. 
I don't think it's that big of a problem on more of a local or regional level. That's an interesting point you bring up that the, the, the average working comedian, nobody gives a shit about, about them. But no and one cares. Are, yes. Right. And, and, and how many superstar comedians, like there's a shit ton of comedians that are, and this is great, you know, back in the day before Netflix and even HBO, like you had to get on Carson. That was the break. Yeah. That was the yeah. thing. Or Letterman. And then, yeah. and then, yeah. or, and then Letterman. There was a clear Netflix. path. Yeah. And then you yeah. got an HBO special. Yeah. Huge. Actually, yeah. before an HBO. Huge. Yeah, actually, HBO special, but Comedy yeah. Central. Comedy Central. Comedy Central. Really, had a thing. Like, there's been. They these... got low, lower level comics that they, they really elevated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now you've got Netflix and Hulu and HBO, all, all of it. And like, everybody's got a special. It's like the whole, that's like the trope right now. Which is not true because I mean, I, when you don't have a special on Netflix yet, and you're a quality comedian, thank you. You'll yeah. you'll get there if you want it someday, no doubt. I, um, can I just say, um, sorry to step on your toes. I respect yeah. anyone that put a hard, uh, a, a a well thought out, hard earned, funny special, even if it has just their mom on YouTube as a subscriber. I respect sure. it. Sure. Yeah, you, know, you do yeah. the work. Everyone's pissed at Dave Chappelle. People are pissed at Ellen for things. Like, there's like these top tier, if you want to call Ellen a top tier comedian, but you get what I'm saying. Like this, go for the the, the big comedians that upset people. But there's the majority of, of stand-up comedy is happening on the mid and lower level. Yeah. So when Hannah Gadsby said she killed comedy in response in, in a tweet or a Instagram post or whatever, she, it, it's it's a really odd, bold statement that to take that you just you killed all of comedy. Here's this Netflix fucking god that right. is Hannah Gadsby. I mean, she pulls the numbers, right? I mean, that's why they gave her two specials. That's why oh, I mean, she's, she's right. Yeah. But there's so much more happening. So when like comedy's dead and comedy, she killed comedy and better. Nah, she just fucking did a thing that she did and. Comedy is happening elsewhere. Is that like here's where yeah, my disagreement is? It's not level let Don It is not harder to make comedy. The difference there are two things. First of all, and I understand the whole oh, it's Twitter. The thing about it is most prolific of Twitter warriors comprise less than three percent of the population. Do the math. I know. If you look at the numbers, I know. less than three percent of three hundred. And I'm just gonna go with. American Twitter, 330 million people, of less the than main 3%. Media grabs onto that shit. Well, the, the thing about it is the media goes where that 3% goes because they're really well, fucking loud and insistent. However, yeah, here's the difference. I don't think it's any more difficult because I think, I, I mean, unlike both of you, I remember Tipper Gore. I remember, yeah, I remember okay, Frank. This Zappa. is one of those moments in the show where I have to say, uh, Don, geez. fuck you. I'm not that young. You're not that old. Shut the fuck up. Okay. I remember anyway, remember the Tipper Gore hearings. Okay. I, I, I was listening to Body Count when that was happening. Okay. Fair right. enough, Thank fair you. Enough. But I remember Jesus. that. And here's Who the, the thing. fuck do you think we are? Here's the, thing. the only <laughs> difference, the only difference between then and now is that we used to in the 80s, maybe even in the 90s, definitely in the 70s, but definitely in the 80s, the really strident, censorious, we're highly offended people. We're highly conservative. 
They were the evangelical mm-hmm. Christians. If you know, Andrew Dice Clay was not censored by feminists. He was censored. He was he was jammed on by Christians, you know, by 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 Republicans. And that has yeah. been for so much of our lifetimes. That's been a standard. That's been something to rely on is that the conservative side of the country are very easily offended and they want to shut anything down that offends them. The difference between then and now is that the extreme left is just as censorious as like fucking Tipper Gore. So now you have two sides of the extremes, both the alt-left and the alt-right, the extreme left and the extreme right, both of them are now focused on comedy as a point of censorship. I am highly offended. Now, the thing about it is that makes it more difficult in some ways, but it doesn't make it any more difficult at all because it just means there's more people to make fucking fun of. When you look at the, when you look at like Chappelle and for that matter, Louis C.K., and for that matter, just name any comic that has really, in the last couple of years, really fucking pissed people off. Because um, I don't believe there is such a thing as punching down. There's punching. Comedy, I mean, it, 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 actually, I read this the other day. Richard Pryor said, comedy is based on the pain of others. And, and so did fucking Mel Brooks. You know, I mean, that's just, that, that is standard. Caesar said that kind of thing. And so it's, it's, it, what it boils down to is I don't think it's any harder. I just think it's more complicated. That doesn't make it harder. It just means that you've got to weather more kind of bullshit. But you yeah. still, everybody can say what they have to say. They can offend who they want to offend, and they can just jump in and do it. But they're not going to have as much, uh, it's not as easy, it's not as, it's not as leisurely. Let's put it that way. Well, here's an upside to it. Um, <laughs> I think it, it makes it a little more challenging for a lot of comics to, there's no more low hanging fruit on the tree anymore. Yeah. Right. It used to be okay to take a shot at this group or that, or I'm not talking about Chappelle or, and I'm just saying in general terms, um, a lot of comics will say, you know, white people are like this and black people are like that or whatever the, the context may be. And now it's like, well, there's maybe a whole other world of subjects and ideas and topics that can be relevant and made to be very funny and relatable that have very little or nothing to do with offending, potentially offending certain groups or not. Well, yeah. but that's, that's been a it's been a trope of, of comedy for forever. Forever. I mean, women are I, I used to make jokes in the in the early 2000s i would make jokes about the jokes that stand-ups were making in the late 80s women are like this men are like that shit dave chappelle plays a character in eddie murphy's movie the nutty professor as Mm -hmm. a stand-up where he's like women be shopping like that is that's not a dave chappelle joke right like that is a that is an 80s hack comedian joke sure that they were i'm sure that i mean i wasn't there in the fucking writer's room but Chappelle and Murphy must have worked that up like that's you know Rita Rudner made a fucking career out of my husband does this men are weird and women are like you know what was the remember what was the the uh the the caveman show you guys remember that oh on SNL 
uh, no, it was a caveman a, lawyer. No, it was a live show. It was like, consider the caveman. That's what it was. This guy was all over the fucking country doing a one man stand up show mm. that was basically a funny version of men are from Mars, women are for Venus. That's, I mean, that's exactly I mean, that what book, it was. That book is pretty fucking stupid. That's just the thing is, I don't think it's I've, that stupid. I have flipped through it and it it's, hurt I my mean, brain. It's ridiculous on some level, sure. But uh, but, it's men, not... but men and women are different. Yes. But when you get into transgender, just, uh... you start to you start to mush things together. And it's okay to mush things together. But as I go, I go back to I go back to Everything George Carlin. Gray. All here's George Carlin. All you all here's all you have to know about men and women. Women are crazy, men are stupid. And the main reason men, women are crazy is that men are stupid. This is a very this is a very biological binary joke. But it's still funny. And that's really Might what it boils down to. Is it funny or is it? Yeah. I mean, it's not funny the way I tell it because I'm a fucking moron. But it's still funny. And it's funny because we we go, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think it always helps when you're making fun of yourself. So I my favorite Jewish jokes are about Unless me. you're Hannah Gatsby. But yeah, sorry. Um, but, you know, and by the way, I've sat through tons of comedians telling hack jewish jokes you know um like a nigerian trans comedian will tell jewish joke and i have to sit <laughs> a nigerian and, trans and, and, that's crazy yeah. i'm just I love saying, intersectionality it's the and that is a he journey she or they can do that and i have to accept that you know, they might tell a cheap Jewish thing or maybe even throw out a Holocaust thing, something I personally do not like. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to know what this is. Some cheap Jewish thing or a Holocaust thing. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. like the usual. Nigerian. Like, yeah. No, yeah. but when you're around and when you're watching a lot of stand up all the time, there's a lot of that. And only there's a lot uh, of shit out there. Yeah, there's sure. a lot of, you know, making fun of of people. And sometimes when you're the person being made fun of, it's you're not you're not the one laughing. And that's OK, except one time I'll admit uh, there was a comedian that was telling jokes. I won't say who or whatever it is that was telling jokes um, like based on his opinion that in the context of the Holocaust never happened and <laughs> I had a line that was drawn there and I actually, I objected to that. And I, I had a little chat with this guy on the side and I said, no one is a bigger free speech advocate than myself, but you know, it did happen. So any jokes you want to make about it happening, you know, but to like distort actual historical, yeah. I, I kind of, and some people felt, no, if it was funny, comedy wins. You know, if the audience was laughing, but I feel like there was a teensy bit of of um, out of bounds, a sense of it being. See, this is the know, thing. I don't know if there's yeah, a lot of. Yeah. I, but this one of the things I wrote about, and it'll come out next week in uh, the eight. But one of the things I think is interesting is I'm not sure if there's such a thing, especially when it comes to comedy, because when we when we attack the comedian, we're not really attacking the comedian. If if that guy did the the Holocaust never happened jokes and the audience fucking laughed. Our attack is not on the is not on the comedian. It's on the people yeah. that laughed. Yeah, you're and, right. And that that's a bigger target and it's a harder target to kind of compartmentalize because 
it, it, what it reminds me of is uh are you guys both fans of of uh the west wing the show never saw show? it uh, i've never watched all the way through okay so i love the west wing and that's but it's because a good it's, show that's because it's a show. you know a liberal uh masturbatory uh exactly yeah what if, what if everything worked our way kind of shit well um, david if you love the newsroom you're gonna love you're the gonna other love liberal the thing wing. that takes place but in the white the, house one of the Actually, things in the Beef west wing is great by the yeah, way one of the things Beef. in the west wing that i really liked was there was a there was a whole episode about guns about uh the second amendment about gun control and at one point rob Lowe, and David and I know this. Just so you know, I do not say Rob Lowe. I say Raw Blow. Rob Lowe. So okay. now you will never hear his name differently. I'm moron. trying to make sure that everybody wow. knows. I knew there was a reason why I came on tonight. Rob Lowe, Thank just so that everybody remembers. Yeah. Anyway, he has this conversation. And one of the things she said, that this I can't remember, Ainsley, I think was her character name. But she looks at him and she says, you don't hate you don't hate guns. You hate people that like guns. And and that's the thing is is that that a, a lot of the times it's not that we hate the comic. We hate the people that like the comic. And that's a different. That's a completely different issue, mm. you know. And so, um, you know, that becomes the question: is like if you get into a room with a comic who's made something that is highly has made jokes that really landed. That the audience really dug, that they really guffawed and laughed at. Do you go to the comic and say you shouldn't have said that, or do you go to the audience and say you shouldn't have laughed at that, or do you go, why is that funny, and how is that relevant, and what do I say that that combats that? And so, yeah, so I, I think uh, I think finding something that's highly offensive is its own art form. It is. Uh, I never knew Holocaust denial was fertile comedic territory. I would never even thought that that would be something funny, but maybe he said, I mean, did the audience laugh? I like it. What was the Proud joke? Oh, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Because it it's a weird In subject. the worst taste possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, I I've listened to a million things that I wouldn't pay to see. I didn't enjoy hearing, but I didn't say a word because that's comedy. Yeah. That's it's just interesting. Is there a line? If so, where's it drawn and all of that? Yeah. Normally I would say no, but sometimes I mean, I know that I that one time I, I drew one. So yeah, and, and I think I that's know. fair. It's your right to do that. Here's the second question. Moving on. Yeah. Um, could blazing saddles be I guess I've heard that I'd be in terms of the arguments, and I hear this. I hear this more from the right than I hear from the left, but I've heard it enough that I think, oh, I, 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 I want to actually parse it out. Could the movie Blazing Saddles, which I actually think is one of the funniest fucking movies I've ever seen in my life, like, yeah, like minute to minute, laugh out loud. It reminds me of the Neil Simon press for The Odd Couple. Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen the press, the initial press for The Odd Couple for Neil I Simon, it was that it, the, 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 the marquee was, a laugh every six seconds, which I still think to this day is the funniest fucking marketing campaign I ever saw. But Blazing Saddles, could Blazing Saddles be made today? And even uh, Mel Brooks says he doesn't think it could be. So what do you guys think? Uh, well, even the fucking horse would have to be woke <laughs> to be made today. So my, my short answer is not a chance. 
and I and I and I um, I bemoan that. I find that lamentable, um, and I I think that because that is that that is so race centric that that film, you know, the main characters. Cleavon Little and everything, um, and their relationships. That's funny. And, 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 and the very so keeping in mind, of course, a lot of homosexual it, humor in there with uh, Don. Everything, Cole. everything. I mean, it's, it's and I, I just, funny well, shit. Yeah, no, it's and I just want to make one little, and then Dave, please cane me off. Um, <laughs> the I think it's so healthy for society to be able to openly talk about and make fun of our racial differences. And I say this on the heels of my little Holocaust tangent. Like for instance, there was that, if you guys remember, there was that SNL segment in the seventies with Chevy Chase and uh, Richard Pryor. Pryor. Richard Pryor. Brilliant. That's brilliant. so brilliant. And they yeah, were I was gonna bring fun. that up earlier. I'm glad you're bringing this up now. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm a believer in, in everything that that sketch stood for uh, and frankly, blazing saddles at the time. And, and I don't yep. think that we could, we would see that today. I feel like, yeah, that's a really good point. And the, the point of this sketch um, with Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor is uh, Pryor is interviewing with Chevy Chase for a job. Yeah. Chevy Chase is the hiring manager and Chevy Chase is like, all right, do you have a problem with this and that and the other thing? Do you have a problem with being called N-word or something, right? Like well, there's no, that's does, kind of does, the premise. He does he's a like, word association. Word association. Word association with it. Right, right, right. And it's the fucking funniest guy. It's, it's and it's, it's hilarious. And, and, and Chevy Chase says the N-word. Yeah. And Richard Pryor responds with honky. No, no. Right. Richard, Richard, Richard and then, Pryor. But then he finally says the N-word. Oh, yeah. It's dead honky. Dead honky. Yeah, that's that's, okay, the, yeah, that's what's it. so fucking funny about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember exactly what the buildup is, but it's I like it's it a, is a race. Like it is racial yeah. epithet, racial epithet, it's racial funny it's as tightening hell. the racial epithet. And is it offensive today? Yeah. To me, no. This is like, what are we getting at? What is the joke? Who what is the sacred cow we're taking down? And the sacred cow in that bit is the white supremacy, the, the the white man, the whole like black guy interviewing, like I could I could get a job. Like, are you okay with being called boy? Well, yes, I am. You know, like that's what they're going. Like, that was the thing. Like, you're not gonna stand up to us, are you? That's that's racist capitalist so, America. So you don't think that's the joke that they were making. Yeah, you don't think blazing saddles could be made today? No, well, so here so let's talk about blazing saddles. When I took I, I took Katie, Katie had never seen Blazing Saddles. Oh, and God. Mel Brooks, his wife is on. extremely woke. Just so you know, Eric, very okay. woke. My wife. Yeah, Eric. So you don't know, but my wife <laughs> grew up in a tiny town in central Illinois in an evangelical Christian home. She is she now is um, and has always been uh, atheist and like never just it, she never fit in. Okay. She never fit in. But she came from that world. So she like didn't she never saw Back to the Future. She's never seen Ghostbusters. Oh, she wow. never celebrated Halloween as a kid. Like there was just like weird because the devil. Uh, right. Because like, of the shit. devil. Yeah. That, that. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, my son, LeVay. my son, her from my in-laws, her grandparents or our son's Katie's parents send Harry a, a Halloween box every year that has, you know, fucking 
all sorts of candy, which is, I think is mostly for Katie and I, but you know, and fun right. shit and like Halloween stuff and a note that said, in fact, I actually have it here. This is, I didn't plan this. Um, uh, nope. This, oh yeah, here it is. Harry, how are you? Is your new class at school fun? Are you learning a lot of things? Please send me a picture of you, what you dress up for, for a trick or treat. I can't wait to see. Papa and I miss you so much. And we love you very, very, very much. But like you wouldn't let your kids trick or treat. It's just, it's a, it's a, just a weird thing. Anyway, anyway, the point is, so she had never seen Blazing Saddles, but Mel Brooks came to town at the Chicago Theater and did a screening of Blazing Saddles. And then he and... I don't remember who else was there because like everybody else in the sh- in the movie is dead. Was it Madeline Kahn? No, Ma- no, because I would remember that because because I would be I fucking rocking. No, Madeline Kahn still <laughs> does things to my underpants. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> young Frankenstein. I, I was a break. It's like I was way too young for her at the time, but now she's way too old to be a sex symbol. But to me, she is. Oh my god, I Madeline Kahn and Gene Kelly. I there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the point is Mel Brooks, you know, you screen the movie and then Mel Brooks comes out and he takes questions from the audience and he does his whole, his whole Mel Brooks thing. And I was sitting there just like amazed that I was in the same room as Mel Brooks. Holy shit. Katie had never seen the movie. When the movie first started, she went, uh, what the fuck did you bring me to? And I said, just wait, just wait. So that was like the first 15 minutes. She was like, nope, not okay. None of this is okay. But then she got in and she's like, oh, I get it. I get it. And she loved it. So one of the questions to, to Mel Brooks. Yeah. Okay. Not Torme. I, I call him Mel. Uh, one of the questions Not Mel was, Blanc. could this, could this yeah. movie be made today? And Mel Brooks, the man who made the movie, one of the greatest comedic minds of the, how many generations now? He said, No. Of course it couldn't be made today. Of course not. But the the movie, as offensive, quote unquote, as it is, isn't fucking offensive at all. It's calling out how idiotic racism and sexism and capitalism and all the isms I, that make America ridiculous and hilarious are. That's why it's such a good movie. See, I feel like I set you both up because uh, I'm going to disagree with both of you again. Ooh. Um, because wow. I actually what? think Blazing Saddles could be made today. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, um, you no longer, the, the, okay, could Blazing Saddles be made? Yes. Could it be marketed and distributed <laughs> by major? No. <laughs> Not a chance, but it can be made. But well, it could, it could be made, marketed, published, but, but, but then recalled. And I don't think it'd be recalled. Here's the thing. This is the thing to keep in mind. And that's one of the things that, that you know, I mean, there are pluses to the Internet and how it has disrupted almost every industry. And there are minuses. But one of the pluses is, um, and as an example, um, the movie Host. Now, granted, horror and comedy are different, but they're kind of incest. You know, they're like cousins who fuck each other in terms of right, art. They're right. really close they're together. Hot, you know what I mean? Hot. Yeah. And, go and on. Host, Host is a horror movie. <laughs> and okay. Host was a movie that cost uh, $35,000 to make. It was never distributed because it was released in 2020. So it was never distributed by 
to a movie theater. It was strictly Shutter and Amazon Prime, I believe. That movie that cost $35,000 to make made $246 million with almost no marketing campaign whatsoever. Now, whether you like the capitalist market, uh, you know, free market bullshit or not, that's meritocracy at its at its thing. If 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 Blazing Saddles, which most of us agree, whether you like, you know, so like like the thing, it's funny as shit. It is start yeah. to finish a really funny movie. If you make a movie that is that funny, that is that pointed, and is that also offensive, and manage to make the movie which I think can be made for very little money because the, the technology is just, I mean, and we talked about this. Uh, I think we talked about it with Donnie Smith. The technology. Yeah, the thing about it is, like, I've got an iPhone 13 Pro Max. It has got some really amazing uh, camera technology. If you could make the movie for thirty-five dollars to $50,000 and it's a good movie, it will make a ton of fucking money which means you don't need to market it. You just have to make a really good movie. So do I answer? My answer is, could Blazing Saddles be made today? Absolutely. Is it going to be embraced by everybody? No. But again, the extreme right and the extreme left are a really tiny percentage of the whole. They're loud, Most John. people are right in the middle of that and... If they want to watch something that's funny, I think it, I don't think I think Blazing Saddles absolutely could be made today. I think the question posed to to Mel Brooks at the Chicago Theater that I was at was could could Blazing Saddles be made today? The question could could it be made today? Meaning, could it be made, published, marketed, sold? Well, that's not and what people go in. to it. But I think is, that's that's no, but I think that's the question that people from are Brooks's asking. Perspective, sure. Um, could and it be saying could it no? Be it could wildly. Can you popular? make? I mean, Jesus Christ! Any of us could make anything. I could make a. I could take a shit in my hand right now, and make a sculpture. I want to back of, you up. Mel Brooks, at the time he made Blazing Saddles, was a trailblazer. He was well known. He was popular. He had worked on many series on television he was known to be a, a great you know I and mean, he was the man right and when he made blazing saddles he was an edgy comic he was an edgy writer and exactly edgy director. and was, yeah. and so the answer to the question is can could blazing saddles be made today is simply look at Chappelle's the closer and know that a very popular comic going to some very potentially offensive material could absolutely yeah, make no. A fucking thing. Not that, the same comparison. I think it's a very similar comparison. Blazing Saddles is Chappelle's show. Blazing Saddles. Well, he is made not Chappelle's, Chappelle's show. And if Chappelle last... decided he wanted to make Chappelle's yeah, but that show, that wasn't today. He could, but he could do that. That was 2002. He could totally today, do that. That would be uh, uh, an underground snuff film or something. That, yeah, which would, would make a shitload and... of money. My experience with the closer was that it wasn't as funny as Sticks and Stones. It wasn't as funny as his other Netflix things. I'm glad he's kind of like said, okay, I'm finishing with this one. He is getting dangerously close to that Lenny Bruce, let me read my trial transcripts about the cocksucker trial. He's, I mean, he's getting dangerously close. He's not there yet. He's real close to let me defend myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, it's like, That's it's true. interesting. It's interesting, but it's not funny. 
but there's yeah. enough funny in that special that I hope that he's like, all right, I'm done. Like when he says at the end of it, I'm not going to make jokes about the LGBTQ anymore until they realize that you know we're all laughing. I hope he's, I, I really hope he's like, yeah, I'm not going to make those jokes anymore because he's really edging to that. I've been aggrieved and I'm angry and I'm going to, I'm going to fight back. And yeah. I'm gonna use my platform to it, do it. it. it I think that's insightful, Donnie. It was it became a, a little bit of a holy war between Chappelle and the it was like a some sort of dub like the original WrestleMania, you know, Chappelle and the trans community. Or yeah. Um, but uh maybe you're right. Maybe may, because because something in bad taste, I'll I'll point to that. Remember that show on Netflix called Cuties? I do. Yeah. With just I, I, didn't, like, I didn't watch, watch it, it, but I read yeah, about it. I couldn't lot, even. It, I mean, that's so clearly in bad taste. It's not. That's offensive in the wrong in every you know wrong way. Um, whereas maybe it's time for someone with the right exposure and influence to come out with a smart, insightful, and super funny show or movie that deals with like race you know race and sex or whatever but not in a in, in my opinion not in like a like woke way like but in just a down-to-earth you know right and if it was the if it was done really well and it had really talented people and it wasn't preachy you know sort of stuck to one narrative or another but just was funny and and i don't know maybe even heartfelt may just the right project could be just the thing it can oh i i like your optimism we we're always ready and willing for something like that to come along who are the people that make you laugh that you don't have to go i'm looking around to make sure nobody's watching me laugh who's well, making you, know, you laugh today it's funny you say that because uh i i'm gonna i'm gonna well a few people, but I'm going to say Louis still makes me laugh. He still makes me because laugh, and I am a part. Funny, I still have smart. his mailing list. I pay five dollars a month to stay on his fucking mailing list, dude. I uh, I wish I had his career poster. Rob. I mean, he's still killing it. He has he's a new so, special. He's it's so fucking really funny. funny. It's Jesus. so funny and smart. And I was in. Uh, I work a lot in coffee shops. You know, writing uh, every day and. Uh, I had to, I, I had it on and honest to God, I felt paranoid. He's so right. I well, look around it. to make sure nobody's seen Guilty. that you're actually uh, listening to Louis CK. Yeah. You never know how people react to what happened with him. And I understand, I get it. It's, it's weird. It's a weird situation. And the other, uh, the other special that I love, I'm going to go and bring it really old school. And, um, because I still watch it all the time and it inspires me, uh, is Richard Pryor's Live on the Sunset Strip. Fucking yeah, yeah, right? That's the jam right there. And it's yeah, and, 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 and let's be honest, it's homophobic. It's really, I mean, he really goes for some places that are really, in, but it's fucking true and so funny. Fair. It's just start to finish. Every word out of his mouth mm. is fucking funny. Yeah. 
It's yeah, I agree so with that. Oh man, so what do you think funny. of Nikki? All right, so my list includes because you've mentioned Louis C.K., so I don't have to mention him. Um, I love Nikki Glazer. Okay, Nikki Glazer is great. I think Nikki I Glazer. What do you guys is, love about Nikki? What the thing is, she's you. You mentioned earlier self-deprecation. She's very self-deprecating. Um, what I really love about Nikki is I, I love her stand-up, but what I love more than her stand-up, to be honest with you, is her ability to do those fucking comedy central uh roasts mm. she is by far the most the brutal she fucking she's brutal yeah. she's so fucking mean and manages to sell it in a way that you go she's mean but she kind of feels bad about how mean she is but she still wrote those fucking jokes and yeah. those jokes are fucking funny they're just cutting I love Nikki Glaser. Yeah. I think she's funny as shit. And then the other person that I consistently yeah. think is funny is Bill Burr. I, Bill Burr, across the board, all, and I don't love sports. I don't even give a shit about sports. I still think Bill Burr is super funny. Bill Burr is great. Yeah, he is hilarious. Um, and he's cool. He's I, I saw him at um, the comedy store, like, hanging out by the back when I lived in L.A., and I just normally I don't star crush and stuff like that. Um, but I, I kind of rolled up on him before he could get in the door. And I was like, dude, you're great. I love your shit. I learned so much watching you. And he and he stopped. He was in a heart kind of in a hurry. He's a good he guy. Everything kind of like gave me the dignity. He doesn't fucking know. It gave me the dignity of turning to me, shaking my hand and being like, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. The Broad City. And I legitimately like Alana Glazer and Abby... Shackner? Oh. Uh, Abby Shackner? Sure. The, the, the Broad City. Like, yeah, they're great. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I literally, I don't know what from moment to moment, day to day is going to make my wife go not okay. I just, I, I, I literally <laughs> don't. I don't. And I've stopped giving a fuck because, like, sometimes she is super, super smart. Sometimes she is just going with the fucking your wife role is super, the, super the smart. latest wake. She's a little ideologically uh, bent, but she is super smart. No but question about ideological it. bent. Even that is like she's like, nope, they're insane. But then she like catches a wave of wokeness in the most trivial way. I, I just don't get it. I, I guess the the funniest so, person. Who are your comedians? Who you love? I, I don't know. Harry Himmel, my fucking son, makes yeah. me laugh my ass off, and I know that's not going to get me in trouble. I, you that's know, true. That's I play, not going to get you in trouble. Great name, by the way. I play Harry it really Himmel. safe. I only go Harrison. to open Harrison mic nights Himmel. at preschools. All right, Simeon cohort. Here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. So my first thing to do this week, it's, it's a read. Um, it is to read. It's on the Atlantic, and the headline is, Gen Z only exists in your head. The dividing lines between generations are a figment of our collective imaginations by Joe Pinsker. And it, it's interesting, but I, I, I like, I sent it to Don because Don is always calling me a millennial. You are a millennial. Which I'm not. Don is always calling me a millennial, which I'm not. You are. You got, you got some of the old man. No, I didn't think here because I'm Gen X. I'm, I'm Gen X. <laughs> anyway, but it's an interesting point, like how we're putting all of this pressure 
and we're working so hard to define people by the year they were born. It's it's an interesting take. Um, the Atlantic rarely lets us down. Fair enough. My first thing is a watch. It is Goliath season four. I don't know if you guys have watched Goliath. It is an Amazon Prime show. It is uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Um, oh, and, I have. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's he's basically what I love is he is that antihero where he's a drunk. He is fucked up. He's a brilliant lawyer. He's just right time, you know, right thing, right time. But yeah. what I loved about Goliath season four, um, I loved the first two seasons. Third season kind of lost me, except that Amy, Amy Brenneman is hot. Other than that, I was not that into it. But Go- Goliath season four is about the opioid uh, addiction mm. uh, thing. It's got J.K. Simmons as the big opioid guy. Oh, I it can. is really, really well done um, and smart and fun. Um, I'm also, and this is not one of my five things, but I'm also watching Dope Sick. Uh, I'll re- recommend that on Hulu with Michael Keaton. Uh, the whole opioid thing is really fucking ugly. And uh, what I love about uh, Goliath season four is that it really, I mean, they, I mean they're accurate. In, in their uh, perception of how pharmaceutical companies have uh, really fucked us. And, 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 and it's one of those things where what I really liked about it was it as much as I kind of wanted this, want to disdain anti-vaxxers, when you watch something like Goliath Season 4, you kind of understand why the people that hate that, don't, that, that are like, I'm not going to believe anything the government says that Pfizer says. You kind of go, I get that. I kind of get that. So my first thing is Goliath season four. Eric, what's your first thing? Uh, I got into, uh, and it occurred to me, by the way, that I haven't been using my earphone. I hope that doesn't fuck with the recording mm-hmm. quality or anything. Anyway. I don't think it will. Um, I finally got into Peaky Blinders. Oh, yeah. Like, but you know what the key was, is that I started, my wife and I, we started watching it with subtitles. And that changed <laughs> everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yes. it was amazing. Amazing it is, experience. It's really intense. Yeah. 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 The dialect work is uh, pretty intense. Really great. Uh, so yeah, we got into that and my second thing, like anything, wait a minute for your second thing. Now, David will do his second thing. I'll do my, I like that. You get, that's good. That's a good first thing. David, what's your second thing? My second thing is to go back and watch Hannah Gadsby's Nanette on Netflix. Oh fuck. No. Yeah, it's, just, why? it's not fucking funny. Why? When, why? Here's it why. hurts my here's heart. Here's why. Ah. What? When was the last time you saw it? Refresh your brain before you chill over her and chill over her. And it was on comedy storytelling, but it wasn't funny. I like I watched it last night. David Sedaris. It just makes me want to punch my face in with my own fist. Okay. I have to say. I would third that. I mean, I watched it last night because I was like, it's been a while. Let's see how annoying it is. Ugh. And it's funny in points. And then yeah. it takes a deep dive. And then it's like, 
oh my god this is is this stand-up comedy mm-hmm. should she even be compared to david chappelle i don't fucking know i, I they're just talking it's like mcsweeney they're just it's funny talking with funny parts talking with funny parts and then it gets really fucking serious no, it's and i would say the same thing about david chappelle specials but there they're, are no laugh they're talking lines. with funny parts there's no laugh lines. I watched the show and there were three laugh lines in the entire hour and 15 minute special and a lot yeah. of really good storytelling. The thing about it is, and this is the thing that I, that I think is really interesting about sort of uh, the, the extreme left. They love storytelling and I love storytelling, but they don't love comedy. Because the stuff, and 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 I and I I throw this like at Colbert and Seth Meyers, you know, they're not doing comedy; they're doing stuff that the the very educated, college educated white people will really think is funny, but mostly tells them that they're right. Yeah, it's I not. Agree. It's not funny. It's that it tells them that they're on the right side of history. And there's a funny is different. Funny is a very different funny, thing. Funny is very different from preachy. So I, yeah, yeah I, I'll, I'll watch it again. But uh, I'm that's I'm not. my thing. I don't know. Give it a go. And I didn't watch Douglas. I remember watching Douglas saying, "This is fucking dumb." Okay, this is boring. And I this is the longest moth slam. Eat a fucking gun right now. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with that. When I eat a gun i want to swallow bullets i want to shit them out then scoop them back up and shove them in my fucking ears when they will destroy my brain i just I, I, where's nazi germany when you fucking eat it like just give me get this over with my second thing there's is, a holocaust joke how about that there you go that my second that thing you, is <laughs> having nothing to do with the comedy thing it is in the new york times it is an article called where facts were no match for fear the subheadline is civic boosters in central Montana hope for some federal money to promote tourism. A disinformation campaign got in the way. This is a really well done article. It is written by Reed J. Epstein, and it was uh, what was it posted October twenty fourth. But basically, it is it is it is a story of here's some money for the better of the community. Here's one woman that decided that she had a bead on complete misinformation, spread that information, misinformation, like countywide. And this is a county with like 124 people. So it wasn't hard. And how she basically denied the county millions of dollars because of ideological concerns. It, it is it, 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 the thing about it is you got to read the piece. Like I said, it's New York Times where facts were no match for fear. And having just watched Dune, how was that? I actually really loved it. Um, one of the things I think is funny is is uh, one of the things for my I believe this week was uh, that'll happen this afternoon. Um, is that uh, Dune? Dennis Dennis is. Dune is either Lawrence of Arabia in space or Avatar on Tatooine, but it's still a white savior story, and it's still quite brilliant. For those that don't know anything about Dune, as they go, oh, it's a white savior story, 
they haven't read the three books. Read the books, and you will realize that that Paul Atreides actually becomes a bad guy. He's more like the Anakin Skywalker than the Luke Skywalker. But uh, yeah, that it, it's 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 one of the things I think is very interesting is this is all about misinformation. It's all about taking taking like like people taking a stance and using social media to really promote a complete bullshit and depriving an entire community of i mean millions of dollars to support that community it's called where facts were no match for fear and in dune you know fear is the mind killer that's why brother dune um it is by reed j epstein it's very good that's my second thing and you close it out mr uh well, I will bandwagon on uh, Timothy Chalamet. Um, yeah, who I, I didn't like, want to like him. I really didn't want to like him because he's such a soft boy. But yeah, he, he really made it happen um, quite he's, well. He's a beautiful boy. He's, a beautiful he, boy. He's, he's pretty. Bo- I kind of want to <laughs> fuck him in the ass. However, um, and I didn't. In watching Dune, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I buy him as a badass. He proves himself. He does a nice job. I actually like him. Fucking good actor. I, yeah. I I didn't see Dune yet, but I really liked him in this obscure movie called Hot Summer Nights. He's it's actually a, really good in that. Really good in he that. He is really good in that. It's true. Yeah, uh, it's a really great sort of '80s throwback flick uh, for any any fellow diehard '80s fans out there. You and me both, um, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, beach girls, sort of the whole thing. It's it's great. So that's my number two. Hot summer nights. Summer nights. Well, with that, uh, I'm going to go get a drink. And uh, Eric, thanks for being here, man. It was re- It's yeah, really good to you, see man. you on this Zoom recording. It's really good to hear you. Um, I'm glad you're, you're still writing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you focused your grief into art for, for me to consume and for you to just excise. I... Thank you. Uh, I, I hope I hope it helped. I hope the process helped because I know how writing can can do that can really help, you know, not fix things, but get you through them anyway. So very much so. Um, um, thank you. you know, and, and being a comedian, being a funny guy writing about unfunny stuff is is tough. You can listen to the Literate Ape cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast Jones. If you enjoy listening to Two White Guys Holding Court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com.